How many of you don't like the new seating arrangement? All right, there's no hands raised. See, I call that a unified church because there's some that like it and there's some that don't care. So therefore, uh, it's a unified church. Um, the one thing I kind of like about it is it keeps us a little more to the center. Um, not a lot, but a little more. And that way I don't have to turn my neck so much when I preach, you know. I can just keep it more centered. Uh, Philippians 1 is where we are. And we did sing quite a bit about the love of Jesus tonight. And um, we're going to, in a certain sort of way, uh, look at the message of God's love tonight. Paul talks about his heart for the gospel here in Philippians 1. And it's a really beautiful and important passage. So Philippians 1 is where we find ourselves. We're going to begin in verse 12, read down to verse 18. Philippians 1, verse 12 to 18. So if you're able to stand for the reading, please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. In Philippians 1, beginning in verse 12, Paul says, But I want you to understand, brothers, that the things that happened to me have occurred rather for the furtherance of the gospel, so that my chains in Christ are evident in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brothers in the Lord, becoming confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The one preach Christ from envy and strife, I'm sorry, from contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in it I do rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for Paul and for this writing that he gave us. And most importantly, we praise you for the message that it shares with us today. I ask that your gospel and your truth and your word would bear fruit tonight. Give me the grace and strength and help of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we will be helped and led of you and changed by your word tonight. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As we get looking here at... Paul's writings, he turns their attention to the gospel. Now, I don't notice, I don't know if you notice this, but the word gospel or the concept of gospel has shown up numerous times in the passage that we read here. So if we look first in verse 12, we have here in verse 12, he says, the furtherance of the gospel. There towards the end of the verse, the furtherance of the gospel. Now go down to verse 17. He says, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Now, both of these times he uses the word gospel, but the gospel is also mentioned in other ways in the passage. So it's not only the word gospel, but he also, several times we have the phrase preach Christ, verse 15, verse 16, and implied is also in verse 17. And then in verse 14, he gives this idea as well, where he says that these other brothers speak the word without fear. They speak the word without fear. Now, this gospel emphasis that he makes, 
he connects it to where he is living, to where he is sitting in that moment. If you, if you will, um, I want to look through the passage tonight through the lens of the gospel and how Paul talks about it, how he refers to it. And in verse 12, we have the gospel advance. The gospel advance. And, and Paul says, I want you to understand something. The things that happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, uh, some people think that Epaphroditus, when he came from Philippi to visit Paul, he expressed to Paul that the people in Philippi are praying and they're concerned and they're a little worried maybe even that you're locked up here and that the gospel is being hindered. I think it's very easy to understand how someone could imagine Paul being locked up and think of the gospel being hindered. When Paul went forth on his mission trips, he didn't want to sit in jail. He didn't want to sit in prison. He wanted to be preaching. He wanted to be out with the lost people. But now for how many years has it been? It's coming up on about five years that he's been imprisoned. Now, in Rome, remember, he was in a rented place, a rented house or a rented apartment. But still, he was chained. And he talks about his chains. And we'll talk a little bit more in verse 13 about the specific details of this chain. But I want us to see that Paul says, no, the things that happen to me are actually happening for the advancement, for the furthering of the gospel. Now, Paul, went to, Paul had wanted to go to Rome. He had told the Romans how he wanted to go to Rome. And he had, um, I think there's another book where he mentions wanting to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. And I think as Paul maybe imagined going to Rome, I think he imagined doing what he did everywhere else going to Rome and he'd start off in the synagogues and he'd preach to the Jews and then there would be some that would be saved and then he'd turn from the Jews and he'd go to the Gentiles and some of them would be saved and he would start a, you know, a church or churches there in Rome. And, but when he went to Rome, he didn't go as a preacher, did he? He didn't go on a glorious mission trip with Luke on this side and you know, Titus on this side or something. No, he went as a prisoner. And Paul writes to these Philippians and he tells them, I want you to see that the gospel is still advancing. I want you to see that the gospel is still going forward. The, the things that happened to me. You know, that, that word encapsulates a lot, doesn't it? The things that happened to me. Well, what are those things? The mob in the temple. The false accusations of the Jews. Sitting at Caesarea. And then as he talks about, as we remember in Acts 27, or 26 and 27, that awful ship journey where there's a shipwreck and he gets bit by the snake and... Now he's taken up to Rome and he's locked away in this apartment with these soldiers on each side. And Paul says, this is for the gospel. Now, he doesn't just say because of the gospel, but he says for the, what's the exact word? He says for the furtherance of the gospel. In other words, the gospel is going forward through this circumstance. There's a sense in which we can say this is God's will, that this is how it was to be. But we also need to see that this is Paul's outlook as well. And if there's one thing I want to drive home on this verse, is this. Don't assume that the circumstances that happen in your life are just opposition or problems or of Satan. Look at the things that happen in your life and look for how God is advancing His purpose, His kingdom, and His gospel through events. You know, some people have a gospel outlook. And what I mean by that is whenever a situation changes or whenever a problem arises, 
They're looking for where the gospel can go forward. There are others that are gospel defeatists. And when a situation happens, that oh, Satan's at work. Oh boy, things just aren't as they're supposed to be. And things are, it's, it's a big problem. And there's just, there's just no way that this, you know, this is not how it's supposed to work out. But Paul had a gospel mindset where he was always looking for the advancement of the gospel. And he says, hey, hey, I know you might think this is really bad, but the truth of it is, the gospel's really gone forward because of this situation. Now, so we see the gospel advancement that, that Paul reminds them of and he tells them of, this gospel uh, furtherance. But in verse 13, he gives an explanation of where this gospel has gone. And I call this the, the gospel gossip, okay? Verse 13, so that my chains in Christ are evident in all the palace and in all other places. Paul says, my chains in Christ are evident. So he doesn't just say that his chains are evident. He says, my chains in Christ are evident. We need to talk about this word palace here. And then it says all other places. The word behind this word palace is praetorium. Praetoria, excuse me, praetoria. And it either is referring to the place or it's referring to the people. And let me give you the meaning of the word praetoria. Praetoria was a group of soldiers that were elite, highly trained soldiers that had an, a special status in the Roman system. The, if, we, if we could make, kind of make an analogy to our day, we might call them secret service. All right? We know the secret service. Kids, have you ever heard of the secret service? Who does the secret service protect? Oh dear, we need some education on the secret service. Anybody know who the secret service protects if you're under the age of 15? The secret service protects whom? The who? The president. That's right. Now they also protect the vice president and ex-presidents. And, but they're an elite group of soldiers. We might not call them soldiers. Security guards, we would call them. Now, specifically, they may have had some broader purposes than maybe just the Secret Service as we think of it. But they were, they had a special level of trust. They had a special level of power. For instance, these soldiers would get double pay from an average soldier. They had power and such power they had that even the new emperors would have to make sure he met with the leaders and court them and be on the same page. Otherwise, they wouldn't have that power uh, ally relationship going on. So these were powerful soldiers but guess where their number one goal was to protect Caesar. So what this, now you say, what, you might have this question, and I had it originally when I first thought, I said, well, if they're to protect Caesar, then what on earth are they doing with Paul? Because Paul is certainly not Caesar, right? Well, Paul is going to appear before Caesar, right? And so one of their missions was that if, if there was someone going to be in front of Caesar, that they would watch over that prisoner, and they would have some background on that prisoner and they would also watch over that prisoner so that there wasn't contraband or poison or weapons being slipped to this soldier right before he goes before Caesar, right? That makes perfect sense. And so this, this word could be referring to these group of soldiers, but the way it's given here is simply that it's the place that they went. These soldiers would go in and out of the palace all the time. And what was happening is this. Paul's sitting there in prison chains and he is waiting, and he is waiting, and he is waiting. Have you ever been in a situation of waiting? 
Oh, yes. And sometimes we say to ourselves, this is a waste of time. Paul didn't look at it that way. Because what was happening is soldier upon soldier was being chained to him, and they would rotate. Some people said it was every six hours. might have been every eight or every 12. But the point is this. Every day, every rotation, there is a new soldier. Maybe one, maybe two. We don't know the numbers. But there was a rotation of soldiers coming in and out of his apartment, in and out. As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, these soldiers were what you call captive audience. A captive audience, but kind of in the opposite sense. You know, we think of Paul as being the captive, but they were just as much chained to him as he was chained to them. And the point is, when Luke would come through, or uh, Epaphroditus would come through, or uh, anyone else would come in and he's uh, talking through the gospel with them, they would have to sit and listen to that. And we know what Paul did when he was in the, the prison there at Philippi. What did he do? He prayed and sang songs at midnight. And I believe that Paul prayed and sang songs at, throughout the day and at different times. And he'd be sitting there singing praise to the Lord. And who's sitting right next to him? Soldiers. You know, and, and, and I believe, so there's an indirect way that he was impacting these soldiers. But I also believe very directly he gave them the gospel. He said, what's your name? You know, Spartacus, probably not, not the name. Yeah. What's your name? Andronicus, whatever. Um, you know, how long have you lived in Rome? And, you know, he would chat with them, but then he would say, let me tell you about why I'm here. Let me tell you about these chains. There's some Jewish people in Israel, and they say that I'm corrupting the religion. But guess what? God did give his law, and God did speak by the prophets, but he spoke about his son, Jesus Christ. And he would witness to them very directly. And you know what happened? Soldiers started getting saved. Soldiers started believing. And Paul realizes now, maybe he didn't see it originally, but he realizes now that this two-year delay has worked for the furtherance of the gospel. Not just anywhere in Rome, but into the palace itself. Now there are spirit-filled, saved men ministering and working in the palace. And they're talking and they're saying, hey, have you, have you been chained to that Paul guy yet? Have you been chained to him? I tell you what, there's no other prisoner like him. I mean, he will talk your ear off. You should hear him sing at midnight. You talk about a crazy shift. It's a crazy shift. And the soldiers were hearing and receiving the gospel. And he says, my chains in Christ are evident in all the, in all the palace and in all other places. Word was getting out. And so I call it the gospel gossip. People were talking about it. And maybe even... We don't know this for sure, but based on what's going to be said in a minute, maybe even there were soldiers that didn't come to faith, but they still talked about it. And they still said, he, he keeps saying this, Jesus guy is risen from the dead. Have you heard of this risen from the dead business? And the idea is that the gospel is spreading and people are talking. And now in the very palace itself, the gospel is going forward. So we see this gospel gossip. Now, in verse 14, notice this. Notice this verse. And many of the brothers in the Lord, becoming confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Without fear. I call this gospel courage. Gospel courage. Paul says, and guess what else is happening? The brothers in the Lord, those who are saved, I think he's talking about other Romans. And remember, Paul would have visitors to come to him. It wasn't like a normal prison. This was his own hired house, and he could have believers come. And I believe Paul trained, and he taught, and he 
influenced many, many believers in Rome as they came to see him. And he says, many of the brothers in the Lord are becoming confident. They're getting their confidence. You know, uh, I hope you've realized this in your Christian life. It takes some confidence to speak the gospel. It takes boldness. And he says here, they're starting to share it without fear. And if there's one thing you could pray about for yourself, and if there's one thing you could pray about for me, your pastor, is that we would share the gospel with boldness. With, without fear controlling us. You know, um, Satan wants us to live in fear, and God calls us to share his gospel with boldness. Um, certainly with kindness and not brashness or, or being ridiculous or anything, but with boldness. And not, no shame, no fear. And he says what's happening is other brothers, they're seeing what's happening. And they're realizing I'm already in prison for the gospel. And I'm still sharing the gospel. And they're not in prison for the gospel. And they're not sharing the gospel. And they say, wait a minute. If Paul's in prison for the gospel, or imprisoned, shall we say, and he's locked up and he's sharing the gospel, and then he's not scared of these soldiers, and he's sharing the gospel with them, then certainly I can share the gospel to my neighbor. I mean, that's not even a soldier, for goodness sake. I can share the gospel. And can I just remind us that there are people you can share the gospel to. And you pray for boldness, you pray that fear will be removed, and then you go forth and share the word. This is gospel courage. And man, if there's one thing that probably holds people back, this is one of them, isn't it? People get that fear, and they fear being rejected or mocked or cut off, and, and they hold back with the gospel. Notice how he says in verse 12, the furtherance of the gospel. He says, the things that happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. And we can see in verse 13 about the soldiers and the gospel gossip. But this is a secondary uh, and a, a second level of influence where the things that happened to Paul happened for the furtherance of the gospel because others saw his example. Right? Other people said, if he can share the gospel like that, then I can share the gospel. And what this is, is this is gospel furtherance that is other believers getting the courage and getting the strength to share the gospel. Paul says, the things that happened to me Look at the gospel going into the palace through these guards. And he says, the furtherance of the gospel. Look at the brothers in Christ and their confidence and their, their fear dissipating. The gospel's going forward. And it's almost as we're reading this along, we can tell that Paul is not sitting in his uh, chains, moping and crying a tear and saying, pray for me to get out of here. That's not how he's thinking. He's saying, mm, look at the gospel go forward here. Mm, look at the gospel go forward here. And you can see his outlook. You can see his heart. And he says, oh, Philippians, don't, don't think the gospel's not going forward. It sure is. Now, in verse 15, I call this gospel mocking. And uh, there's several groups that are shared here. And uh, we'll look at the mockers first. But um, I've entitled it mocking. And there's a number of different takes. But let me just read it and then we'll, we'll discuss it. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and then this other group, and some also from goodwill. Now, he goes on in verse 16, the one preached Christ from contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Then we see one other reference in verse 18, what then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. 
Now, so we see the pretense in verse 18. In verse 16, we have the contention without sincerity. In verse 15, we have from envy and strife. Now, there are two main takes on who these people are in this negative light that we're looking at them. One interpretation says they're lost people that are talking about the gospel and sharing its contents, although they don't believe it. There are others that say that these are true believers who are envious of Paul, who have some beef to pick with Paul, and they share the gospel hoping to make him feel bad. Um, it could be either, possibly could be both. I lean more towards the idea that it's lost people myself. Um, and what I mean is simply this, is that Paul's rejoicing the gospels going forward. He talked about these, the influence of the soldiers in the palace and so on. And I tend to think he's talking about some of them where they consider him, some of them would consider him loony or crazy, but they go and talk about it to others. And they say, yeah, so the story goes like this. There's this guy named Jesus, and they're recounting the story of Jesus, but they're doing it from a place not of sincerity, not of true belief, but they're simply saying, man, this guy's crazy. Man, next time you're in there, just give him a hard time for him, will you? Because he's really loony. And yet what's happening, as Paul is saying, is that the gospel is still going forward because people are hearing about it, they're getting their interest peaked, and, and so uh, he's happy because, yeah, I mean, they may not be sincere about it, but the message of Jesus is still going forward. And in a way, we could almost say that sometimes God uses unusual means to spread the gospel, doesn't he? And there are times where the powers of hell and Satan have come against the gospel with such strength, and it's just, it's like trying to nail jello to the wall. Instead, it just, you know, the attack falls apart and the gospel keeps going. The gospel keeps spreading. And we don't always know the results of how things are going to shake out, do we? And, and Paul just said, look, there's some people and they're not sincere. They're not, they're, they're trying to give me a hard time about it, but they're talking about Jesus. The word preach Christ here clearly doesn't mean preach a sermon behind a pulpit, okay? It's just to declare, to, um, to, to speak, okay? Now, so we have the, the gospel mocking. Now, in verse 15, we also see the other group. So this group we have at the end where he says, some also from, notice this word, goodwill. And then in verse 17, it says, the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And then in verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Okay? So in truth, it also describes this other group. So we could call this uh, the, the, gospel, uh, the, the gospel insincerity, okay? So the gospel truth-tellers are the ones that believe it and share it and mean it. And notice how it says in goodwill. They, they also do it from goodwill. I'm wondering if some of these men who are saved were saying, man, if just the right person would believe the gospel, maybe Paul could be set free. And so they're trying to share the gospel with the hopes of freeing Paul. And so the gospel is going forward from, from the unbelievers or the critics, and it's going forward from the, the true believers and the saints. And, 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 and he just basically says, hey, I'm happy. I'm happy because Christ is being preached. Christ is going forward, and this brings me great joy. So um, before we get to our final point, I want to... I want to share verse 17. He says, the other of love, but knowing this, look at this last phrase, 
knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Paul says, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. The word set there is used of put or place. And it's, it almost has the idea of divine providence behind it. I am providentially placed for the defense of the gospel. And boy, there's so many ways to, to think about this. Um, if you will, um, turn, turn with me over to Acts chapter 9. Hold your spot here. Acts chapter 9. And in this passage, Ananias has been told to baptize Paul and to give him his eyesight back. And he's very concerned. He says, oh, he's a bad guy. But the Lord reassures Ananias. And in verse 15, Acts 9, 15, it says this, But the Lord said to him, Go your way, for he is a chosen vessel for me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. From day one, Paul was called to be a special tool in the hand of God. But one of his purposes was to bear the name of Jesus before kings. Before kings. And here he says, I am set or I am placed for the defense of the gospel. You know, the book of Acts is an interesting book. And I don't know if you remember this. It's been years since we went through Acts. I don't know if you remember this or not, but there's a few strange things. Many people look at Acts as a simple church history. But there's a few points that are a little strange if that's all that it is and nothing more. Do you remember how many times in the book of Acts Paul's testimony is shared? Three times. Three times Paul's testimony is given. And many people believe, and I am one of them, that the book of Acts was written for multiple purposes, but one of those purposes was to be a document in this trial of Paul that would lay out the record of how things unfolded what had happened, what had been done, and to assist Paul in his legal defense. Paul says here, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Do you remember verse 12? The furtherance of the gospel. He says the gospel is going forward, the furtherance of the gospel. I forgot that that word furtherance has the idea of like an army that has to have the trees cut down ahead of it and the road made plain. It's like the opposite of obstructing, like clearing the way. The furtherance of the gospel. The gospel is going forward. Things are being cleared out of the way. But now he says the defense of the gospel. Well, what's that? That's the opposite of advancement, right? That's, that's holding defense. That's guarding against the backward movement. And he says, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. I believe Paul was praying and looking and awaiting the day where he would stand and he would look Caesar right in the eye. And he would say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I have placed my faith in him. These Jews have rejected the Lord Jesus, but we have embraced him. And we are but the full fruit of what Judaism was supposed to be. And he is the son of God and he is coming again and he is king of kings and lord of lords. I believe Paul was looking for that day, but he wanted to, to defend the gospel. He wanted the gospel to have freedom in the Roman Empire and there was a threat that, that it could be outlawed and the government would come down in persecution against it, which shortly happened. Nero, remember, just a few years later, Nero would burn Christians in his garden, and uh, there was a great persecution of Christians that came in the very city of Rome. Paul says, I'm placed for the defense of the gospel. Sometimes events are so different than what we imagine. 
You know, before I never really got to my final point, did I? Verse 18. At the end, notice he says, Christ is preached, and in it I do rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Christian, let me urge you that when the gospel is preached, when Jesus is preached, rejoice. Rejoice in it. I know there are some churches we don't agree with every piece of their doctrine, but they preach a true gospel. They preach the Lord Jesus. They preach that you must repent and believe the gospel and be saved. And when that happens and when people get saved, we should rejoice. Paul right here says, look, there's some people and they're doing it from bad motives. But I rejoice because Christ is preached. And I hope we'll never be that sort of Christian that can't rejoice in the simple gospel of Jesus going forward. That's the whole point of the scripture. And yes, we should walk in obedience. And yes, those other things are important. But when people get saved, let's say amen. You know, let's be happy. Paul says, I rejoice. Jesus is going forward. Even if it's coming out of some mouths that don't really believe it. And even if it's, you know, uh, from some people that don't have sincerity in things, Jesus is being preached. The last thing I want to close with is just this simple idea of the defense of the gospel. These guards that were brought in for Paul, they were told to defend him, to watch out for him, to protect him. So Paul's there, the guards are there, and they, in their minds, are guarding him. But he says, I've been placed here for the defense of the gospel. So Paul was sitting there knowing that he was defending something too. And he wasn't defending the soldiers, he was defending the gospel. And yet, he looked at these defenders of his, and he defended the gospel to them too. And there were some of them that were saved. Many a person would be tempted to simply look at these soldiers as just people that are forced to defend me, forced to watch over me. But Paul saw it as a gospel opportunity. It was a gospel opportunity to him. And the question I have for us is, what are the gospel opportunities that we're missing? That we're so wrapped up in the events or the trouble or the trial or whatever is happening that we miss the gospel opportunity. Let me share a couple gospel opportunities that can come our way. Flat tires can be gospel opportunities. Sometimes we have vehicle problems because God wants us to share the gospel with the mechanic or with the person that stops to help us or with the the tire man who sells us the next tire, or whatever it is. So sometimes those things that happen are gospel opportunities. How about this one? Sometimes we are in a hospital bed because God wants us to witness to the nurse or the doctor. And God would put us through a great trial of affliction to put us all the way in the hospital because the gospel needs to go forward in the hospital. How about, um, how about this one, mothers? The, the children that have been tearing at your throat all day, that have been a problem and a burden and a stress, and indeed they can be at times, are also what? Gospel opportunities. They're the people that God has put right around us to love and to cherish and to train up in the ways of the Lord. And let me also remind us that sometimes our gospel opportunities are a little bit more indirect. Remember how he said the other brothers got courage and they started sharing? Well, sometimes the, the children uh, at our side and by our hands they're the ones that, as we point them to Jesus again and again, will one day carry the gospel on. I was thinking about the gospel chain. The gospel chain goes back all the way to Jesus and all the way back through the Old Testament. The gospel chain 
People that believed. People that had faith in God. And we are part of a great gospel chain. And my fear and my deep fright is that the gospel chain would end with me. And that I would be the last link on that chain. No, we are meant to be a part of a chain that does not just go back into the past, but also goes forward into the future. We must look for the gospel opportunities, for they are there, because God is advancing his gospel. Let's close in prayer together. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And I'm thankful that Paul had a a certain mindset about the situations he was in. And I pray that we would have that mindset as well. That mindset of gospel advancement and of gospel defense. Just the awareness that there were opportunities and there were believers that needed courage and Paul encouraged them. And there were soldiers that needed the gospel and and Paul witnessed to them. Paul understood that he had a, a special role to play where he would one day stand before Caesar and defend the gospel. What a privileged thing that was for him to be able to stand before kings and to speak the word of salvation and the word of truth of Christ. And Lord, we may not stand before the president or the governor or some king, but Lord, there's, there's some people in our circle, soldiers, there's some, some repairmen, there's some children, there's some neighbors, there's family, there are people in our circles. And dear Lord, may we not be so wrapped up with other things that we miss the gospel opportunities. Thank you for this text. May it bear fruit in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, any questions or comments before we have our prayer time? Okay. Oh, yes, sir. Mm-hmm.